Welcome to Build Your Thing, the podcast where we help content creators find their unique creative voice, monetize their work, and build their tribe of loyal fans. I'm your host, Matt Jarrow, and if you have been struggling with bouncing back and forth between different projects and, you know, having some hard time when it comes to focusing on one single thing, then today's episode may help. Because today we are going to talk about ADHD. And Dylan Radekop joins me on this episode. So Dylan has been diagnosed with ADHD and, well, we are going to talk about how to manage that as a content creator. And if you have been following the show, you already know who Dylan is. So in a past episode, we talked about how to grow and monetize an email list. And well, with that being said, I couldn't be more excited to have Dylan back on the show. So Dylan, welcome back to Build Your Thing. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited to be back. I mean, all the pleasure is on my side. And so on the last episode, we have been talking about growing your newsletter. And since then, you have been crushing it. So it's very inspiring, actually, to see you um, getting those great results. So I'm certainly very happy for you um, when it comes to that. But, well, today, let's just tackle another topic. Let's just tackle what happens behind the curtain, right? Um, let's, just ha- let's just tackle everything related to shiny object syndrome and, you know, having a hard time to focus on one single thing. So, yeah. Yes, yes. That's, uh, it is the curse of the internet, <laughs> the blessing and the curse of the internet. And, yeah. Uh, um, I think, yeah, it's really, it's really kind of, I think exposed maybe, um, a lot of people's ADHD tendencies to some degree. I know it, it has for me for sure. Yeah. So Dylan, you have been diagnosed with ADHD. It was like around one year, something like that. Yep. Yeah. It was actually, it was actually almost a year ago to the day. Uh, I think it was June 20th, um, of last year. So I, I watched a few videos on YouTube. They, I was, I was procrastinating and being distracted from doing my, uh, my actual work for the day. And I saw a suggested video and it was about living, uh, what a, a regular day is like living with ADHD. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I had kind of maybe contemplated, maybe I had ADHD, but I thought, nah, I'm, you know, I'm, I can get stuff done. I can focus when I need to blah, blah, blah. And, and so I kind of wrote it off, but I, that suggested video showed up and I watched it and it was, uh, it was pretty, it spoke a lot to me and, you know, things I struggle with. And then I watched the next video from the same person, uh, from the same channel. And it, it even more so was like, it was like, it was written. It was, it was like the video was, was me writing it or, or producing it. Like I, I've, I couldn't have re- related more to it. And I stopped watching the eight minute video or however long it was. And I phoned my doctor <laughs> and essentially uh, made the appointment to, to kind of see if I um, could get diagnosed or if, if um, I could at least talk to him about it. Okay. So what were the things that actually, you know, resonated with you when you, when you watched, let's say this video about ADHD, was it like, you know, the, the issue to focus or was it like, you know, being distracted or not being able to just to, you know, to go through, let's say, a project or maybe a business or something else in the past. So what was the thing that, like, really, like, you told, well, like, just this just hits the nail on its head? Yeah, it was a video on motivation. And people probably don't often necessarily correspond, correlate ADHD with motivation. But really, that is a, a big struggle for a lot of people who have ADHD. And it's not necessarily an intrinsic motivation factor. It's more of an extrinsic one. And what I mean by that is I'm when there's something I'm interested in and want to do, I'm 
easy, I can easily get motivated to, to do it. For example, I, I love running. I love exercising. I have an intrinsic motivation to stay in shape and stay healthy. And so I do that. And I, I don't have issues motivating myself and staying motivated to do that. However, when I'm doing something that is not as enjoyable, um, that doesn't necessarily, uh, I would say, appease my you know intrinsic needs and desires, such as working a nine to five job, doing tasks within that job, particularly if they are tasks that are dull, boring, monotonous, don't necessarily have a lot of um, accountability around them. Um, maybe they're ambiguous, like the task is very ambiguous. And there's not really, you know, there's not a lot of clarity in the direction of what I'm supposed to do. That's where I, I really struggle um, to be motivated and to do those things unless I'm really being pressed for the result or for the the end, you know, the um, actual result of my work. So I... I, one of the roles I've had in the past, uh, several roles, actually, there's been a lot of monotony or not monotony, sorry, autonomy with the role. And so with, with a lot of autonomy, you have to, you have to really kind of push yourself. And I've really struggled to stay motivated um, with autonomy, you know, which autonomy is great, but it, it's a double edged sword, right? And mm-hmm. so I just, I could not have related more to this video, how it said, Basically, they they used a metaphor about um, two people who one person who has who struggles with ADHD, another person who does not. And, you know, to, they used a chasm like a, a, a bridge kind of metaphor. And so to get from one side of a chasm to another, you need a bridge. And so motivation is that bridge to get you across. And people who don't necessarily struggle with ADHD can rely on the motivation um, to get them across the extrinsic motivation of, you know, this is for my job. I need to do this for my boss. I need to do this for the company. Um, You know, I need to do this even if I don't like it and I I will do it kind of thing. And they, they can kind of get across that bridge. Whereas people with ADHD really struggle and there's gaps in the bridge where they, they need, they need a lot of support or guidance or, um, you know, some added, some added, uh, I said support, but really added push to get across that bridge. And, um, it's just a lot harder to, you know, motivate yourself and get yourself there. And so I just, that was really the video that just basically spoke to me right to exactly what I was struggling with and what I was feeling with at the time. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and like, the thing is like, um, I certainly have like some of those traits too, is like, or like, like on my side, it's like if I really don't want to do the thing, like I, I really don't see like the, um, you know, like the bigger picture. Or I don't, I don't identify with the why. Then like there is mm. almost no way for me to 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 do it. <laughs> so yes, 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 exactly. If there's if there's not a really clear for me, it's a, essentially like a an outcome that has a deadline. Um, with a repercussion for not meeting the deadline, mm-hmm. I, I struggle. And I know that sounds like I maybe need to be micromanaged and that's not necessarily the point. It's just that a lot of people are too polite these days where they're like, you know, oh, I need this thing done, but you know, don't worry, don't rush, get it done when you have time. And they're, mm-hmm. which is nice and it's kind, but at the same time, it's not effective for me. I need, yeah. I need a little bit more like, listen, um, I know you're busy, but I do need to get this done. You need to prioritize this higher than some of your other tasks. What else is on your plate, for example? Um, and if I've struggled with prioritization, if I do, then they can support me by you know 
talking me through it. And then they essentially say, um, we need to have this done by the end of the week. And, you know, it's kind of like a um, no ifs, ands, or buts kind of thing. It just, it needs to be done. And yeah. if it, you know, barring there's, it's a realistic deadline is obviously, you know, that matters too. But I just need to have those deadlines because I've so often have been given tasks, jobs, projects, whatever it might be with um, with no clear deadline. And that's when I just put things off because I'm not interested in completing it because there's no urgency. Um, you know, there's no real uh, actual clear deadline for when it needs to be done. So I just do things that I'd rather, you know, enjoy doing. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, seems like some, that there is some link like between the motivation, between the procrastination and, you know, like also like really grasping or like identifying yourself with like, you know, with, with a bigger picture of any task that, that you have to do. So like, um, you know, like how are you actually uh, feeling when, you know, like you have like this task and you're not just not able just to, to go through them. And, and then on the other, on the other side, you have like all those mountains of unfinished tasks or things that you just started and never finished. Like, like how, how bad do you feel? <laughs> I mean, oh, you feel you feel terrible. <laughs> At least I do. I mean, I I've I've had to actually come to a point where I felt so awful about this. Um, right around the time I was diagnosed, I still felt really awful, even though I could kind of give myself the excuse of, well, you know, it's you know because my neurodiversity um, with ADHD, but at the same time, I felt awful. And now I've come to a place with a little bit of counseling and not really therapy, just some counseling sessions I've had um, with a professional counselor. I've been able to forgive myself more now than I did a year ago. A year ago, I'd beat myself up. I'd feel terrible that I wasn't giving my 110% to my job, that mm -hmm. I wasn't, um, you know, going above and beyond and, and um, really doing, you know, way more than, you know, the, the minimum asked amount of work. And maybe this sounds awful, but I've had to kind of just like sort of forgive and accept who I am in terms of like, I, I'm just not, I'm not going to be the, um, I guess the, the very eager, uh, you know, intern who's, you know, wanting to do all of the, Uh, all of the tasks and go above and beyond and impress their manager and, and get everything and then some done. And I just, that's not, that's not really in my makeup or my nature. I need to, I, I need to work differently and I have different incentives. Um, so, you know, with, with counseling, it's, it's helped me essentially forgive myself um, thinking I was a terrible employee and, um, and just beating myself up over not necessarily finishing, not, I shouldn't say finishing, but not, you know, going above and beyond, you know, the call of duty in my day-to-day -day job. And so I've been told I'm doing a good job and, um, you know, that the, my employers think I'm, I'm doing great. So I, I just need to, I need to figure myself a little bit more and I've gotten better at that. People think, you know, when it comes to like, let's just, you know, put this into perspective of, you know, creating and, and building your, your, your business that, you know, like, um, you just have to do how others are doing it, but, Like you really first, you have to understand. Like the first thing is really you have to understand how how you're wired, right? So once you understand how wired and and actually your strengths and, and most importantly your mm -hmm. weaknesses, um, then you can actually just you know um, like it's the first thing. It's like you know like um, you know like navigating let's say uh, the seas or like you just have to 
actually understand like the, the environment and 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 how you as a captain um, are going to navigate through the seas, right? And 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 like really you being like when you don't know like yeah. how you wired and 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 the things that actually suck it and the th- and the things where you have like an quote unquote unfair advantage. This is um, when you you are going to actually make things happen, right? You just have to understand how you wired. So um, like. Did you actually, you know, um, struggle with, um, like maybe past projects, like before starting your, your, your newsletter kind of, um, thing, like, did you, you know, start an online businesses mm-hmm. and then you just see, well, this just leads oh, me yeah. nowhere. So, so you just start, let's say buy a course or like you're <laughs> motivated for one month, two months, <laughs> and then you see, oh, no, this actually involves a lot of hustle, uh, uh, and well, I have to put in the work, but I'm not motivated anymore. I just found yeah. like, I just you know, understood how the thing is working and now it's not interesting anymore. Let me just go to, let me just jump to something else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very much. So I'll give a few quick examples about, um, in 2010, I started, uh, this is going a little ways back, but I started a blog because everybody was starting, you know, WordPress, mm-hmm. WordPress blogs mm-hmm. back then or blogger, you know, whatever it might've been. And so I was really interested in the local uh, music scene here. Uh, where I live. And so there wasn't any really good uh, music blogs on, you know, on the scene. And so I thought, oh, I'll start up one. And so I did that. And I actually did that for about three years. And it was about, a, it was a passion project. But after about two years, it really was, um, I started losing interest in it. I was getting, you know, I was g- getting access to free shows, which was fun. But then of course, you know, the writing about the show started to be more of a it, it lost its excitement. Let's say it lost its luster. Um, it wasn't as enjoyable. I didn't have as much excitement for it. So I, I did that for about three years, but, um, after about two years, it started to really lose any interest and I was not getting paid for it. I was just getting, I would get free CDs. Yes. CDs back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would get, uh, I would get some free music concert tickets, which I think I got to see Coldplay for free, which was really cool because mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have paid to see them, but, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I got some perks, but really I wasn't, earning an income from it. So it was also hard to justify the time spent doing it. Then um, a few years later, I also started another website. I, I This is, and this is for anybody who's familiar with my stance on starting a newsletter versus starting a blog. Mm-hmm. This is kind of where that comes from is I, I went through all the trouble of buying a domain and buying a, uh, setting up WordPress a hosting with a WordPress, WordPress site. Yes. Oh, and the theme and, and struggling with how it looked and, you know, before I had hardly really any content and then I started writing content for it. And it's just like, by the time I started kind of publishing content and tried to, you know, promote it on social media poorly, I didn't do a great job of that either. And I just, by the time I had kind of done all that, I already was like, I'm going to move on. I'm moving on to the next thing. What's the next thing? (laughs) And so the next thing was a woodworking business. So, which I also, um, started so totally offline. This was all, um, you know, done by hand and, you know, in a, in a shop and everything like that. I did use social media again for that, but man, after six months, woodworking business, not making any money, real grind. Cause it's a very local, very targeted local, um, business, uh, unless you're, you know, shipping, cutting boards or very small items, mm-hmm. you have to focus local. And it was just, it was just hard. And, I lost the the joy in it. I turned a passion into a job and that really kind of killed it for me. Um, so 
that leaves me, that brings us kind of to where I am today with the growth currency newsletter. And the main reason there's, there's a few main reasons, but I think one of the biggest reasons why I'm still doing it is because I haven't relied on it as an income. I haven't put that burden of it becoming a job. Um, it's just continually been a passion and I can see the income that I get from it as bonus income and not like, Oh shoot, I only made $500 this month. Instead, it's like, Oh, I made an extra $500 this month. Mm -hmm. And so by, by having a full-time job still and being able to uh, monetize this kind of passion project, um, that's one of the main reasons I've been able to stick with it. And then I also wrote a blog post, uh, and newsletter article about how I think this has also worked for me because, um, I think there's a lot of people who have pursued things that they have enjoyed and haven't necessarily quit their jobs to do, but have eventually lost interest in doing it. And so I went through kind of a few reasons why I feel like writing a newsletter and that forcing function of publishing weekly has really worked for my kind of ADHD brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like the interesting thing, because this was actually like uh, my next question, Um, Mm -hmm. how, how, like, how do you see the link between you know, getting bored or, you know, just wanting to, uh, to jump to the next thing and like actually linking this to, to the income part. So like all the projects, mm-hmm. let's say that did you started in the past, like, do you think that even though let's say being able to like to make an income out of it would have changed the, the equation or not? It's mm. a good question. I think, I think it, it could have, mm-hmm. um, but it, but it's really hard to say, right? Um, I think if I would have made money with the, uh, if I would have gotten over the you know WordPress blog issues and the and all that struggle, maybe I would have stuck with it. But I would have had to figure out a better way to monetize it. Um, but I think the same with the woodworking. If I would have been able to figure out, if I had a bunch of people already asking me for a bunch of different projects. Um, maybe I would have stuck with it. But at the same time, I was a one person crew and there was so much work involved for any piece that's, you know, bigger than, you know, a cutting board. Like if it's a table or a shelf or a bed or a whatever it might be. Um, it just, I think I would have burned out pretty fast. So with the newsletter, because it was something that I just kind of created on a whim and, um, and was able to slowly monetize and just like, really start off with a very simple goal of just like publishing every week for um, a year straight or even a hundred editions straight. That was kind of my main goal and, and not putting the pressure on myself to earn money. The other ones, if I would have started making money from them, you know, looking back, I probably still would have been like, I, I, I don't think it would have stuck with it. Um, mm-hmm. But who knows? Yeah. Like, like I think really like the, the need of var- uh, variety is 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 quite important, and like if you really don't, yeah, like um, if you really don't find a way to actually to to make it work, and let's say, like I I, I see that I have a a low boredom threshold when it comes to you know just repeating the same things again and again and again. So this is like when I just mm-hmm. burn my burn my wings actually. So like um, an example that I give, like it was like recently, like at the beginning of the of the year. Um, I would just start getting a lot of traction on Medium. So, uh, you know, with my with my articles about note-taking and, you know, becoming a top writer and mm-hmm. then, you know, uh, getting all this traction, like like I don't have the exact numbers, but it was like I was able like to to build a list from, from, from zero when it comes to actually note-taking to 3,000 in just less than three months. And, 
you know, like, I was wow. just like, you know, I was creating this, this, uh, uh, you know, this, this free online course. And then I got all this traction and the people buy my course. And then, and then, I mean, and then so what, like, I was like, I have done like all, all the grind. I was reply. I like, I like my, my inbox, like every day I got, I don't know, maybe 50 subscribers and people replying to the emails. And, you know, I have like maybe 700 conversations on, on Gmail, just, you know, with people, you know, replying to the emails, asking questions. And then, I mean, and then, okay. And then, so what, like, I just, okay. I just found out what I wanted to find out. And I was able, you know, just to pass on to the people who wanted actually to learn. And then, okay, what's the next thing? <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It almost doesn't matter, right? It's like, uh, and I'm and honestly, Matt, I'm very, I'm kind of impressed and surprised with myself that I have not jumped to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I even still, I think about it, um, but nothing really, and I, again, I'm surprised, nothing actually keeps keeps my um, interest as much as uh, talking about newsletters. I still find it really fascinating. There's so many new platforms coming out. There's so many ways to, monetize promote them um just to to do them that and there's great content around them i just i'm still very interested in it and i'd say i'm even more interested in it now than i was six months ago um part of that reason being of course i niched down with my new own newsletter to focus on newsletters very meta of me but uh, yeah i'm I'm very happy that that hasn't happened and I'm kind of nervous and waiting for, you know, <laughs> the shoe to drop where I'm going to be like, oh, okay, like I'm kind of done talking about newsletters. But the benefit of that is, you know, that can branch off to a lot of different things. And if I've, you know, crafted a, if I've created a, a pretty loyal, you know, 1000 true fans or, you know, my own version of that, then those people will likely still follow me for kind of my, my brand and my personality. Yeah. Um, and you know the value I've provided them in the past with any new direction I go. So I'm not too worried about it, but I'm I'm also like really trying to ride this um, this interest and this excitement as long as I can. That makes sense. So how do we actually you know um, get this this variety when it comes to uh, uh, to your to your project right now, which is the, you know like talking about newsletters? It is like. Um, mm-hmm. like, like this, this is the first question. The second question, because I'm just afraid, uh, uh that, that, I, that I'm going to forget it is like, um, how do you, yeah. um, I forgot it. Okay. Just answer the question and it will come back. Okay. <laughs> Did it have to do with monetization? Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, no. Like the, the um, like the first question was, uh, how do you, uh, uh, actually, um, oh, I forgot the question again. What was the question? You're, you're going to say, um, the, I, the first thing is about the variety. So how are you able actually to yes, manage variety? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so with variety, I, one thing I did, I think that set myself up for success sort of unintentionally was I'm like, I would, I need to cat, I need to have categories, newsletter, you know, subject categories. And what I mean by that is like, when you're building a newsletter, there's a few different stages that you're at, that you could be at, or that you will be at. So you need to start, you need to um, grow, so grow your audience, um, and then you need to improve your newsletter. So, like, you need to be optimizing it, improving your headlines, improving your copywriting abilities, improving your um, uh, your writing, just your writing abilities, and um, and you need to also. I mean, uh, one thing I'm still working on is improving even just the look and feel of the newsletter, right? And then you also need to um, monitor. Well, sorry, you shouldn't. I shouldn't say you need to monetize because obviously newsletters are um, multifunctional for different people. But in my case, you know, that was another uh, category that I wanted to talk about. So 
between those four buckets of start, grow, improve, and monetize a newsletter, there's just a ton of different topics you can talk about in each one of those, right? So, you know, I was able to kind of suss out those four those four categories. And then now I feel like I've got a lot of different content that I haven't necessarily created yet, but that I can create now that I have those subcategories of newsletters and um, and where I can go from there. So I that that really has kept my interest, knowing that I have, you know, a lot of runway for content and ideation as well to write about and to talk about. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, the while you were talking, like the 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 question came back, and the question is like, oh, good. Do, do you think that um, not pushing too hard on yourself, telling you that well, I have to say publish or I have to write my newsletter, or let's say write a daily newsletter and and or something like that. Do you think that you know yeah. being able to give you this kind of um, empty space, may I say, um, to just you know tell you okay, like for me, you know, writing a weekly newsletter is easy enough and it doesn't put too much pressure on me. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I think um, if I, if I get what you're asking, I think you're asking if giving yourself permission to um, kind of permission, uh, permission to give yourself less, right? It's like, like not doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, you know, it's funny one thing I wrote about in that article was how deadlines and that forcing function of writing a newsletter and telling people that I'm writing a a weekly newsletter and that I have sponsors now who, you know, are paying me to publish a newsletter actually has helped me um, stay consistent and stay um, really stick with this. And fortunately it doesn't feel like a job. So that helps because I still enjoy doing it. But really, if I wasn't um, accountable to anybody mm-hmm. other than myself, I am really, really good at not being accountable to myself. Yeah. <laughs> like um, some people, you know, they set a standard for themselves and they are able to very much uphold it. But I'm really good at giving myself excuses and, you know, kind of letting myself down. And it, not all of us are, but that's just the way I am. And so being accountable to other people is way better for me. So, um, being accountable to an audience who's expecting a newsletter. I mean, if I didn't publish one week, would anybody notice, you know, maybe, but probably not. Um, a, a sponsor who's paying me for that newsletter would probably. So, um, so there's that. If you don't have sponsors, you know, you, you can not be too hard on yourself if you miss a week um, or you miss a day. I mean, if you're doing a daily newsletter also, like, Props to you. I don't know how you do that. Uh, it <laughs> seems like something I would, that's a prison I do not want to build mm-hmm. uh, for myself. But, but yeah, weekly, I think, you know, give yourself permission if you need it, right? Like, don't be hard on yourself if you miss a week. At the same time, I feel as though um, I need that accountability to keep pushing through. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why the weekly newsletter has worked for me as, you know, so far, almost 18 months in, I've stuck with it and I don't really f- feel like quitting or have any signs that I'm going to let up yet. So um, I'm not sure if that really answers your question, yeah, but yeah. that's kind of my take on it. Okay, great. The other thing that I wanted to, to to talk about is actually, you know, like you mentioned that you have been niching down and, uh, you know, this kind of like that niching down actually helped you to stay consistent and which is mm. completely counterintuitive because like one, one of the things that I'm afraid of um, is that, you know, when you niche down, it's like, Okay, 
what if uh, I'm just interested in, you know, in talking about something else? Like, how do I actually, yeah. you know, um, uh, still, uh, like, I don't, I yeah. don't really know how to put it. But, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> How do you make it relevant to the topic that you've niched down to, exactly. or you know, exactly. you don't want to be exactly. you don't want to be the kind of person who's like niche hopping. You know, people do job hopping. You don't want to yeah. be like a niche hopper, right? Because yeah. um, then no one's going to take your next direction very seriously. So that's a good question. And I think um, you know, part of that for me, I was scared for a long time to niche down, and I had kind of thought about it, but I really hesitated to do it until I got a push from, you know, a fellow community member in a online community that I'm a part of. And they said, when I think of you, I really think of like, I lean, I look at you as to what I should do with my newsletter. And so I think you are kind of like sort of the newsletter guy, even though you're not as big as a lot of the other bigger newsletter writers out there. But I think you, a lot of your content revolves around that. And I think you have a lot to say about it. And it's, it's interesting hearing and learning about your journey with it. So you know, I took that to heart and I thought about it and it felt so right that within less than a week, I had made the decision that I was going to, you know, double down on it. But it took me uh, probably about 14 months, I think, mm -hmm. about till I made that decision. And I just wasn't comfortable niching down until then. I was, you know, my my quote unquote niche up until that point was the creator economy, which is not a niche. Yeah. <laughs> like it's uh, it's about as broad as you can get. So um, I, it really helped me when I did niche down, focus my, um, know who I was speaking to. I knew the audience I was speaking to, at least the, the psychographic of the audience. These are people who are, you know, trying to start and grow a newsletter. And so that helped with my messaging and my pitching to my newsletter. It helped me with sponsors um, saying, this is my audience. Like they are in this phase and this is the kind of stuff they're interested in. So it really has helped um, in so many ways. The the struggle is, of course, if, you know, you feel the pressure to niche down and you're you're kind of looking at a niche that you're not sure about and you don't think you could be that excited about writing about for more than, you know, a few editions or a few weeks or what it might, whatever it might be, yeah. I would, I would wait. <laughs> I, I think I might hesitate to niche down a little bit and really just kind of explore what really interests you and maybe you can write about something broad enough like note-taking um for example matt note-taking you can apply to you know so many different things right it's kind of a broad yet it's kind of a broad topic but it's also kind of specific too right yeah. you can apply note-taking to school education um you know when you're curating content when you're creating content when you're reading books you know there's so much you can do with it so i think if you can kind of have a meta niche Maybe, um, I don't know if that's a thing, but like kind of a meta niche that might help where you can still talk about cool and interesting things, but your niche can be how to apply, um, you know, that particular thing to these other topics. Yeah. I mean, like, like one thing that I just realized with this is like, you know, like the more market research that, I, that I've done, like, I mean, I talked to 700 plus people in, in the niche. So like, I've got a, you know, wow. in terms of market research, like I've done a pretty solid job. So the thing is that I just understood that this is not like people who are just interested in note taking. I mean, it just goes, it's it just too broad, right? It just, like it, it's, mm. as you mentioned, like it's like um, niche down in a certain way, right? Like people who like to consume information, who would like to save it and who want to retrieve it. But on the flip side, it, it's also very large because like 
everyone in their dog is actually taking notes, right? So the thing is that like, mm, yeah. w- w- what I really understood is that, well, what I want is actually note taking for, let's say, creative purposes, right? So like actually taking notes, yeah. um, being able to uh, really um, internalize the concept, make new connections, um, use noting as a marketing tool where actually you can just, you know, dump in different struggles your audience have and then just, you know, start linking between the solutions and coming up with new solutions. So, oh, now, now it starts really getting interesting. And now is actually how I, how I was, was able actually to shift from, you know, right. just, you know, no taking to, to really um, take, let's say, an interest that I have and actually broaden that and, and bring this to uh, the content creator side. But on the flip side, I'm, I'm still the kind of guy who's still obsessed with, let's say, automation, who's still obsessed with, you know, working smarter and you know, <laughs> not having to click yeah, 500 productivity. Different, different buttons when it's when I have to schedule a newsletter and, and I just wanted to do it with, with one click yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, well, it, it, it just seems that, you know, like I have like my big umbrella, it's actually productivity. And then, you know, I just give myself the permission to, you know, to just stop. Let's say today I want to talk about shiny object syndrome. Great. Tomorrow I want to talk about note taking. Yeah. Great. After, uh, let's say next week I want to talk about Zapier. Great. Like it feel, it's still, it's <laughs> under one umbrella. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, I can, I can relate to that for sure. I, you know, I took, um, there's a project called, I think, 100 Days of No Code. And I really... I really love automation as well. Um, and I'm a very, you know, amateur, you know, Zapier kind of automation nerd. I, I love the idea and the concept. and I've set up a few myself, but I definitely want to do more of that. And so I had considered starting a newsletter even on that topic. So who's to say that just because you read a newsletter about one niche doesn't mean you couldn't necessarily start one about another one if, you know, and then follow that passion as well. So I... I can relate to, you know, not wanting to be um, constricted to one niche, but also you could think about how automation, Zapier, productivity can also be tied to your current niche. Like if I wanted to write about that stuff for newsletters, I could really tie in some no-code products. I could tie in some automation. Um, There's a lot when it comes to email marketing and newsletters that you can tie in with automation, like with sequences and everything. So, So there's definitely ways that you could, I think, even... Um, piggyback one niche on top of another to some degree yeah it's like you know kind of a there was like an interesting concept that right a, a few days ago it was like you know this kind of uh niche stacking or audience stacking i guess it was like audience stacking but mm. yeah i mean it's like you know, yep yeah please go ahead no no i was just agreeing with you i think that's an that's an interesting concept of audience stacking yeah. i think we're a little delayed i think there's a bit of a delay there yeah yeah no, no worries so so the thing is like you know let's say um Let's say, you know, like you identify some, you know, so small mountains there where that you can climb it, that you can be the king, right? And well, um, what if actually they, all the mountains actually serve, serve the same purpose, right? So as I mentioned, let, let's say uh, you could be, let's say, the number one guy for, uh, for, for creators who want to start a newsletter. Well, and at the same time, really think about, okay, what are like people who are just starting a newsletter also struggling with? And then, you know, you know build like something else around it. And, and, you know, um, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. may it be a separate newsletter or may it be the same, or you just have two issues, let's say every week. And, you know, one issue tackling, let's say yeah. problem number one, one issue tackling number two. And well, if, if it's the same audience, well, then you're just, you know, building up on, 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 on like the same asset and 
kind of, you know, get the best of both worlds where you're still, you know, following your curiosity, but at the same time, still try to leverage the compound effect and, and not just, you know, jumping from one thing to another. So today you talk about, you know, uh, how to, I don't know, like about dogs and tomorrow about cats and after tomorrow about automation, <laughs> you know, like there is like no, no yeah. at all. No, no, of course. Yeah. I think it's with ADHD, it's really about managing the, uh, like your interest and excitement levels, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really good way to do it. Yeah, perfect. And another point that I wanted to tackle is like, how do you deal with overwhelm? So I have a, a, a really hard time, especially like on social media. So I don't really use social media. Like the only thing that I do is actually, you know, just reaching out to others. And you know, I mean, like, you know, like our first interaction was on Twitter, right? But like, you know, like mm -hmm. all the news feeds and all this, this stuff, I mean, it's just uh, like, it just overheats my, my brain. So I'm really not able to, to, ma to manage that. So how, how do you manage that? And what is your take on that? I don't manage it as good as I, I can. Um, so do as I say, not as I do kind of thing, but I really, I really do believe in setting um, time limits on stuff like that. So be intentional with your social media use. Like if you're going to go on Twitter, I think a good practice is to set a timer for say 10 or 15 minutes and respond to tweets. Um, if a tweet comes to mind, tweet it out. Um, but really like, I think, you know, the more you engage on Twitter, the more, um, uh, the Twitter, Twitter's tends to seem to, you know, improve your visibility for your own tweets as well. I, I found the algorithm has been beneficial in that way. So if you go in and engage and, um, set a timer and do that for 15 minutes, then you're not like, worried about, Oh, I didn't go on Twitter today. I better go back. I better do this. Um, or you have a break in the day, you know, Oh, I better go, you know, see if I'm missing out on good content. If you just set, have that blocked time to do it, then you're not going to have that overwhelm and that anxiety about doing it. So I think I, and I have done this in the past and it does work, but I just, I, I struggle a little bit with that discipline. So, um, I don't do it as much as I should have. And I definitely use Twitter as like the, uh, not necessarily procrastination, but like that dopamine, like, uh, this writing, this article's tough. I'm just going to go check Twitter for now. You know what I mean? So I'm guilty of that, but, um, that's, that's one way you can manage some overwhelm with social media. And you can do that with whether it's, uh, I just wrote about curating content, right? Cause there's so many newsletters that are really great that have great content. There's so many Twitter, uh, posts and threads that have great content, but if you can like batch these things, when you go and try to find all of your, your created, your curated content, um, then you're really going to save yourself again, that anxiety, that overwhelm. So set aside one hour a week to go through all your newsletters and go through all, um, maybe some of your favorite Twitter content and just save it for that block of time. Then you're not worried throughout the week. You're not distracted throughout the week of like, Oh, I didn't read that email or I have to keep it unopened so that I <laughs> don't forget to go look at it. Um, these are all things that you can do to help kind of manage some of that overwhelm, at least that I have found to do not as disciplined as I should, but that I have found that when you do them, they do work. Yeah. So batching things like maybe batching creating content or batching consuming content is certainly like yeah. an effective way to actually go, go, go through it. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yes. So Dylan, so, so what actually changed after, you know, having diagnosed and um, like, as you told, like you have a little bit more forgiveness for forgiveness for, for yourself, but did you, you know, mm -hmm. like sometimes I think, you know, when, when you're able just to put, let's say 
when you're able just to name something, um, it's just like way easier just to, um, you know, to, to, to embrace it. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I struggled with anxiety for about 20 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's funny because I didn't really, from the time I was about say, I don't know, seven or eight years old till I was about 27 or 28 years old. And you know, that was about 10 years ago. Uh, I'm 39 now. And so for about, from about the age of, uh, 18 to 26, I had a, I had really bad anxiety. I didn't know what it, I didn't actually know. This sounds really ignorant, but I didn't know that it was anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it took me having a panic attack, an anxiety attack. One of, you know, I've had them, I'd had them many times in the past, but I finally, I was, I was tired of this always happening and I didn't know why it was happening. I just all of a sudden felt like, you know, shorter breath and couldn't breathe. And I felt like I had to go and get fresh air and go take a walk. And this is in the middle of like, you know, brunch with friends, right? Like it was a casual event and I'd still feel these feelings. And so one day this happened, like I said, at brunch and I just said, I need to go step outside. I'm sorry. And I actually walked right over to the walk-in doctor's clinic. Um, and here in Canada, we have, you know, medical clinics where you can just walk in and, and, uh, see a doctor within relatively short notice. And so I did that. And I said, I don't know what's happening, but I think I might be having a panic attack. And then the doctor asked me some questions and essentially said, yes, you are. And so ever since I was able to name that anxiety, I have, it's, it's really actually helped, (laughs) um, me not be anxious. I just, whenever I kind of start feeling those feelings, I'm like, Oh, it's just, you're just worried about being worried. And I'm not trying to dismiss anxiety because it is, it, it can be very, very hard to deal with and hard to manage. But for me, for my experience, it was much easier once I knew that that's what I was dealing with um, to manage it. And so with ADHD, very similarly, I've been able to um, kind of acknowledge when I've been really struggling with maybe some self-loathing, um, maybe it's a bit too harsh of a term, but when I've not been as nice, kind to myself as I should be. Um, and it's really helped me forgive myself in those times. And it's also helped me realize that I need things like, um, uh, accountability. I need things like deadlines and sort of, you know, these harsher time constraints on projects to get them done when, especially when it's not something I'm doing out of pleasure or enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So, it's been nothing but, you know, beneficial for me to, to get the diagnosis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Dylan, like anything that, that you want to add for people like, you know, who are listening to this and may identify with what we just talked about? Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, my biggest question was about medication when I first was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I did try some and everybody's going to react differently to various types of medication. Everybody's, you know, ADHD um, I guess spectrum is, is a little bit different. Right. And so I did, my doctor put me on a very low dose, um, actually antidepressant and not because I was depressed, but because, you know, there's some science around how that could be beneficial for adults with ADHD. And so I tried it. Uh, he said, try it for 30 days. I did. Didn't feel any different. Um, then after 30 days, he checked in with me and he said, okay, if you don't feel different, try doubling the dose. And I doubled the dose and it actually like within two days, uh, I felt more of this kind of 
um, self-loathing, feeling really terrible about how bad of an employee I was, just feeling down, mm-hmm. kind of angry with myself mm-hmm. and worse than I'd ever felt. Um, not in a suicidal way, any of that, but I just felt really, really bad, <laughs> really negative around myself. I had this terrible self-image and, um, and I was like, I've never really felt this way before. And it seemed to line up very much with taking those, yeah. you know, doubling that dosage. And so I stopped, I didn't even, I didn't even go see my doctor. I just stopped the dosage entirely and I haven't taken meds since. And I'm not saying that my ADHD has been like easy to navigate since then, but going to see a counselor has been highly beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. It's $150 a session, but you know, for the three or four sessions I've had, it's been, it's been way better than any medication I think could have helped me with. Um, so I would just encourage people to, um, you know, medication could be helpful, but talk therapy, like talking to somebody Mm -hmm. is also something that could really be beneficial as well. So I don't want to, um, I don't want people to, to think that, uh, you know, one might be better than the other, but for me, the, the talk therapy definitely was, was very, very helpful. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, maybe just, you know, talking to someone or maybe just, you know, writing things down that may help just to, you know, clear everything that you may have in your head. And, you know, just because like, we are not doctors, obviously, so you should not take our advice as, you know, gospel, something like this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So so it's just about, you know, uh, just because let's say you are diagnosed with ADHD or you may have, you know, some symptoms or some signs doesn't really mean that, you know, that you need medication, right? It's just like that your brain functions in just a different way and you may just have to understand mm-hmm. it and you just may have just to deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I said earlier, everybody has, you know, a different struggles with ADHD um, within kind of that spectrum. And I think I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, my challenges are fairly pretty manageable. Like if I'm, if I'm being honest, I think there's people who have uh, much more struggles with focus than I do and, and things like that. So, um, so I'm, I'm grateful for, I suppose, you know, the, the way I found out I have ADHD, how I'm able to manage it. Um, and, and I think, yeah, just most of all, I'm just glad that I was able to, you know, find out that diagnosis and, and now understand how my brain works and and why I've, you know, had, you know, eight different jobs in the last four years kind of thing. Um, and give, you know, forgive myself for, for even that, because that was a, a bit of a point of shame for me a little bit is just always, you know, job hopping and losing interest in a job and wanting to find a new one. So now understanding why and, and feeling, you know, being able to forgive myself and understand better has just been, it's just been so much, so much more validating. Yeah. I mean, and on the flip side, like you just, um, were able to uh, get more experience also like you know with different jobs mm-hmm. like you know different interests and um, I think that there is like a strong relationship with between ADHD and also maybe being like like a multi-potentialite and you know renaissance man yes. and all those concepts so this is certainly something yeah. that like everyone who's into that um, should actually experience and yeah like i know that i have a bunch of notes that i've taken around this topic um it was like maybe two or three years ago i didn't migrate them into my into my new note-taking system but it would certainly be interesting to mm-hmm. actually see the relations and, and the connection between 
actually all those different concepts because if we really think about it like there are like strong connection between motivation perfectionism procrastination um adhd uh uh multi-potentialized, being able to niche down and, you know, all, yeah. that, kind, all, all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. really all about understanding what, um, you know, how everything ties together so that, you know, you can have like a, uh, this will make, this will make actually your journey as a creator much, much more easier. Yeah, I agree f- fully. I, there's something you said there that sparked a thought and it, kind of evaporated on me, but I'll just blame ADHD for that one. <laughs> like like me during the episode with with my questions. So <laughs> no worries. Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah. thank you very much, Dylan. Yeah. Um, uh, like any call to action, obviously your newsletter, but anything else you want to add before we wrap up this call? Um, yeah, I, I, I want you to tell you what, I can't remember um, again in, in classic ADHD fashion, I cannot remember the name of the uh, YouTube channel. Um, it's one of the most popular ADHD YouTube channels that I found that helped me with my kind of discovery of this mm-hmm. and prompted me to get diagnosed, but, um, I'll send this to you. So I would just maybe ask that you include those in the show notes for anybody else who may be related to what I was talking about with motivation and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely check out that video. Um, and then in terms of personally, uh, I think following me on Twitter is the good, like top of funnel experience with, with me. Um, I'm just at growth currency on Twitter and then growthcurrency.net is my website. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dylan. As usual, it was a pleasure to talk to you and well, I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Matt. Same to you. All right. So hope that you've enjoyed this episode with Dylan Radekop. And if you recognize yourself with some of the trades that we've mentioned today, then you know what? Leveling up your productivity skills is certainly one of the first things that you can do to actually manage um, being successful as a creator. And if you want to know more about that, well, then I have a daily email newsletter where I share a new productivity tip every day with you. So if this is something that you'd like to know more about, then check out the link in the description. And I'm also going to link to Dylan's work. He's certainly doing an amazing job too on his side. And well, thank you very much for tuning in today. And I hope to see you soon in a next episode.